Hello and welcome to another episode of the Humanizing Data podcast run by Morpheus Meets. Uh, my name is Sean Kennedy. I'll be your host and I am a senior consultant on the AI and Emerging Tech team. Uh, today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Kunal Sarwaka, uh, Chief Data Scientist and AI Product Leader at IBM. Uh, and just to be clear, today's uh, views are completely of his own and, and do not reflect IBM's. Uh, so now we've got that out of the way, Kunal, thank you so much for, for joining us. First and foremost, how are you? Doing great, and thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, and if you could just give a, a sort of background in terms of you know where you come from, your journey, and what your role is today at IBM uh, in a bit more detail. Um, sure. So my I currently lead our embeddable AI mission for IBM, <clears throat> which helps uh, companies embed AI easily into their product, be it NLP, speech, or other AI technologies. So I lead the mission for how easily we can help companies bring proprietary research into their product, which open source cannot provide. So this includes product development, uh, getting things out and getting it adopted by some of our uh, biggest partner and the companies out there. And uh, that is something I absolutely love. I have been doing AI for a while. Even though uh, I, I probably is one of the outcasts in the technology in the sense that I never had a degree in computer science. Um, and uh, I've, I actually had a degree in electronics engineering. But uh, back when, when I graduated, uh, I, there were hardly any jobs in that field. So I took up a job in IT. Uh, as a Java programmer and something I absolutely hated. And I was like, no, this is not something I want to do. So I uh, I went exploring and I came across this emerging field, uh, which used to be called advanced analytics, which is like, let us make sense out of the data. And that morphed into what we used to call data mining which is you are literally taking a deep dive into data to hoping that there are some hidden meaning into that we need to discover and uncover. And uh, that led me to actually find what I really enjoy. And that is uh, statistics and uh, uh, basically telling stories with the data. And uh, so that helped me prompted to go back to school I went back to get my master's in applied statistics from Harvard and then came back and uh, since then enjoying doing data science in various roles, helping to move the needle in what uh, we can do with the help of machine learning in industry and society. Awesome. It sounds like uh, you kind of kind of fell into the right field eventually, but it sounds like it was a somewhat of a rocky beginning at first. But you mentioned about statistics and, and the data that interested you so much. You know, what exactly about that particular era inspired you or motivated you to then go back to school and, and now pursue it as a career? What what really took hold of you? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I find uh, statistics uh, to be the metaphor for the universe uh, where uh, it's a symphony of chance and certainty um, which defines everything what happens. So, uh, for example, you cannot predict that 
it's actually going to happen exactly like this with 100% accuracy ever. But statistics is always true when you adopt the beauty of it, like, hey, this is going to happen with 70% certainty. For example, 70% people who went to college gets good jobs. You cannot say which 70% are those, but that's an absolutely proven science. And I found that thing really fascinating. I mean, look at all the uh, big, uh, big, uh, like uh, choices in life. We always wonder, like, uh, who am I going to marry? What is going to happen with my life? Is a person going to be alive when he's driving a car? Now, you cannot predict that, but you can absolutely predict with the help of statistics how many accidents are going to be there in a year in a country and then project likelihood of somebody surviving. And uh, to me, that is a, that's an incredible amount of uh, uh, knowledge that somebody can bring and almost like a power about how the system works at a massive scale, at the scale of an universe. Um, and I found that really fascinating. Um, I mean, in fact, I mean, since we we're talking about it, it just reminded me of um, uh, uh, like the Nobel Prize, which is given this year. It was given for quantum entanglement, which uh, essentially proved that universe is not, uh, not locally real. What it means is like Einstein used to think like there is a certainty. Uh, of realism in the universe. And there was this completely different theory which said that, no, there is not. It's everything is uncertain. All you have is a probability function that goes. And for over 100 years, scientists were trying to prove either way. And this year, they finally awarded Nobel Prize for quantum entanglement, which kind of proves that even at basic level or at the massive scale, everything is a probability function. And uh, that's what I mean, this study is. I mean, many think AI is a new field, but it's pretty old. It's been, the fundamentals has been there for a long time. And uh, absolutely enjoy the, uh, the symphony of chance and certainty and how predictions uh, it comes up with. Definitely. And uh, I mean, a, a scary, a scary idea there. We said about statistics on, on who you're going to marry. I, I mean, we could have a, a phenomenal business idea there. I, I mean, I certainly would be interested in in seeing stati- some statistics on that. And, and maybe some people wouldn't like to see it. But definitely, like you said, it, it works both ways. And you, of course, alluded to the fact that AI has been around in, in terms of the concept for for many, many years. From from when you started out to to say the present day, what what have been the sort of major differences or, or shifts that you've seen? Uh, so that's a, that's a very good question. So many people became aware of AI recently. Um, as I said, when I started, uh, it used to be not called data science at all. I mean, we were not had a title of data scientist. It was a blue collar job. We used to be called data miners. So we would mine the data and uh, suddenly somebody at uh, Harvard Business School thought, oh, this is now going to be the sexiest job is 21st century. So everybody started calling it data scientist. Um, so, I mean, before I answer that, I mean, I think I found it very interesting to share that 
AI goes uh, almost 250 or 300 years. Um, if you look at the core of it, which is you get data and uh, you, after collecting the data, you use it to make a decision and make a prediction about the future. And uh, the guy who probably is the founding father of the AI uh, in that sense is uh, also the founding father for the U.S., uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, not many people know it, but it, Benjamin Franklin was a fascinating innovator. And he used uh, data or data science, so as to speak, uh, to come up with many interesting innovation, like uh, how can we deliver mails by putting an automator at the vehicle? And these were this was way before automobiles were there. But he found the most optimal route of how to deliver the mails by putting the automator on the horse carriage and then finding the shortest distance to it. Now, that's data science. That's your Google Maps just 300 years back. Like, how do I go from point A to B? And he was also the guy who actually wrote a paper almost in 750 something uh, about uh, why we need to have a census to collect the data about population so that government can make a policies based on that and predict what kind of resources we need to help that population. And that is a fascinating insight. You know, we always talk about data-driven organization. And Benjamin Franklin was the guy who invented the whole idea that you need to collect the data in order to make a good, effective organization or the governance structure in place. So it's been going on for that. I mean, most of the algorithms like Bayes' theorem and everything has been around uh, Florence Nightingale famously in 1850s uh, came up with the prediction uh, by collecting a lot of data on British Army that most of the soldiers are not dying because of war or injuries, but are dying because of lack of sanitation. And that helped create a first health department in Britain and saved millions in lives. So that was the biggest impact you can say data science had. And she did it with the help of by predicting how many, like uh, analyzing the historical trend and then saying this much would die. So, I mean, it's been there for a while. And as I said, when I started it, we used to deal uh, with similar challenges. What changed fundamentally in last five to 10 years is the volume of data. I mean, I would probably deal with thousands of rows when I began my career here. And even doing that was computationally expensive. Now we are dealing with rows which runs in billions of it. And the fact that we have such a data, which internet and web made it possible about human behavior and human knowledge is incredible. That is why OpenAI and Google can do the things they can do because there is existed data. And second is a computational power. So it's a massive success of AI can be seen as the massive growth in the amount of data that we can collect and then utilize for this purpose. So it's the, all that they say is the magic is in the compute uh, and not so much in the algorithm at the end of the day, which makes data science possible. 
So, and I always tell friends is like data science, if you are to look at this word, then it is a hyphenation between. So there is no science there is without the data. So what changes the first part? Science was always there, but we are, had an exponential growth in the data. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, a couple of phenomenal accomplishments there by some some key figures in history but in terms of accomplishments accomplishments of your own you know I can just just to go off you were voted 40 under 40 in the analytics insight magazine for for innovation in in AI uh, and also I I believe you wrote a book um, deep learning with with PyTorch lightning uh, you know some phenomenal accomplishments in themselves if you could kind of elaborate on them for for our listeners and also any other major compliments you would say in in both a professional and non-professional sense oh thank you thanks a lot so i mean um uh, i'm yeah i'm uh, i'm pleased and uh, grateful to be named 40 under 40 innovators as well as on outstanding leadership award so i mean the credit goes to my team um, because ai and innovation at the end of the day is a team sport so I'm grateful to work with most of my team members and uh, also have an ability as well as coming across challenges, which uh, requires uh, uh, that a new solution has to be found, which requires uh, to solve unsolved problem. So I'm glad I came across those previously unsolved problem and were forced to look at the solution, which eventually became patents and filed as the papers that helped my innovation journey and my app i mean uh, apart i mean apart from being a data scientist i'm at the heart is a rock climber and uh, i bring uh, i bring the same attitude to the machine learning because i find rock climbing and machine learning just two side of the same coin i mean in rock climbing you are trying to uh, find the most optimal route to do certain thing the goal is not to get at the top. You can just go anyways. But you're looking for how I can solve the hardest problem of going to the top. And it is those hard problems which are worthy of our passion. And I find exactly the same um, uh, same thing exciting in machine learning. That if there is a problem that has not been solved before, then that is where uh, uh, is uh, you can put your best of effort and make an impact on that. So whether it is rock climbing or whether it's learning to fly planes, which I love to do, um, or it's machine learning, it is always the unsolved attitude uh, that uh, of taking the attitude to take on unsolved challenges that helps uh, bring with uh, uh, new innovation and that eventually converted into these accolades. Excellent. Thanks so much. And, and that's a great outlook to have on on all areas of your life, I suppose, uh, and, and just shows how important data is and, and how we can then utilize it to you know, get the best results and, and, and best form of best form of process. Uh, and before you you kind of ventured into this technical world and, and all things data science, you, of course, mentioned being a, a keen rock climber and, and also pilot. So that kind of leads me to, to my next question. What would you say you would do as a, a job outside of the technical world if you'd, if you'd never have got into this area? What would what would Kunal Sarwaka be known for? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I'm an amateur pilot. I always wanted to be a fighter pilot. I have 
hope uh, if I wouldn't have gone this way, uh, I probably would have ended up uh, being a fighter pilot. But, or at a very different end of the spectrum, becoming uh, and joining some non-profit organization and working in some remote part of the world uh, with, uh, with the tribal areas and uh, try to make an impact there uh, by trying to change their lives. So those are like uh, uh, probably two different things that I'm really passionate about like hiking the mountains, rock climbing, flying the planes, as well as uh, uh, working with the tribals and uh, bringing in uh, bringing in an impact into their lives. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, that uh, sometime, even in my rest of the life, I get to do this and uh, probably uh, probably take care, I mean, probably explore that side of the passion as well. Excellent. Sounds like a, a good story for a, a next action blockbuster or something. Maybe uh, you'll give Tom Cruise a run for his money as uh, as Top Gun. Uh, I'd definitely go and watch that. But uh, yeah, in terms of you've, of course, given us a, a nice timeline of where you started and, and kind of history on a whole within the field, you know, bringing it to the more present day. What what do you see as the, I guess, the challenges around AI, um, but also the the real opportunities within it? And uh, what do you see the future holding for the for the industry at the minute? Uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, so the biggest challenge in the AI that is that there is this massive success that companies like Google and Amazon and others, Facebook are saying, but that success is limited to only two or three players. That is because they have the data and the compute to do it, as well as millions of dollars in R&D to uh, actually write, continue to write algorithms and hundreds of data scientists. And then there is a massive, uh, massive trove of enterprises who want to use AI, but they don't know how to do because it's too costly because you don't find good data scientists with PhDs there, and you simply don't have the resources and algorithms to do it. So we are looking at this bit of a monopolization in the AI with some top tech who holds the data. And uh, I think for the future, for AI to be bright, we need to democratize it. I mean, that's something I really love to do in my job where we were able to bring embeddable AI library that combines research with an open source tech. And uh, that is where I think the future has to go, uh, where uh, instead of uh, locking things in into some of these uh, companies where just to train a single machine learning model, you need millions of dollars. In fact, for open AI, they took as much energy to train one single model for large language which can power an entire city for an year. That much was their just a power budget. So having, having to democratize it by creating a self-serving experience in embeddable AI, by creating libraries which can actually compete uh, with the uh, open source ease, but bring proprietary research, is where the future should go. Uh, but I'm not sure... Uh, that is well written there. It is for an industry to work together to make it happen, as well as make AI 
uh, a more responsible field. We hear a lot of things about the risk that AI can bring. And a lot of talk has been there about how you want to regulate AI, how uh, certain companies want to do it. But still, there is no uh, universal regulation that companies has to follow. So those are, I think, is the biggest challenge which we have to handle where AI would grow. But other than that, this is we are just getting started. I think uh, I think the biggest push will come with the quantum machine learning, which will uh, make AI at, uh, run at scale we have never seen before and also handle problems that we have never been able to do before in optimization, as well as uh, probably have a bigger impact on uh, humanity than whatever we have seen. The jobs we know uh, may be gone in 10 years, uh, but they would be replaced with other jobs. So it's an old thing is like AI is not going to take humans' jobs, but humans using AI will take the job of humans who are not using AI. So whether you are looking at a cashier in Walmart or a retail store or uh, somebody giving you things in McDonald's or giving you doing a bank transaction, those are pretty much, or even the truck driver, those are pretty much the job AI will replace. But the other jobs which require a human touch, emotional understanding, those will become much more valuable. So, yeah, I mean, we are living in exciting time. I mean, I can imagine 100 years back when first industrial revolution took place and people saw automobiles and industries coming over and world being connected, what they would be going through. I think we are probably going through a similar transformation. Excellent. Thanks so much. And you, of course, mentioned you didn't go down initially the traditional route into data science with doing sort of electronics uh, and then going back to school uh, at Harvard to, to do statistics and then venture more into the, the data science world. For someone, say, entry level at the minute or, or just starting out, you know, has an interest in AI, has an interest in data science, but isn't quite sure what the best process should be that they should follow. You know, what advice would you give that they should do in order to, to best set themselves up for, for um, you know, entering into this sort of world? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a very good one, because I actually found that uh, my background in electronics engineering uh, helped me a lot in data science. Um, electronics engineering is about chip designing and how we optimize a certain design. So we are flowing a current and making it happen. And most of the algorithms that we use in data science were actually invented in electronics. So whether it is like an ROC curve, which is used to measure the accuracy, that is actually invented in electronics. It's used for signal processing. So as many other algorithms in signal processing, everything from uh, like uh, hamming distance, which is used. So, so that's where I found like a lot of the fundamentals are still the same, uh, whether it is uh, when you talk at the mathematical level of how signals are processed and how data is processed. Because you are trying to make a sense of an, in, within a noise. And that is the similar problem that electronics had dealt with a lot in communications. And that would be my suggestion to anybody who wants to start a field here is to focus on the fundamentals because the outer abstraction layer can change very fast. 
you can continue to get new languages, new packages, um, new ways, whether it is Jupyter or Python or something, they will change. They will change in the next couple of years. But the underlying uh, mathematical foundations of the algorithms and the statistics, they are rarely changing. I mean, we are still using the same algorithms that were decades old, or in some cases, even 100 years old. So anybody wants to do, they need to focus on making sure that they have a right foundation set in. This does not mean that everybody has to have a degree in mathematics or statistics or electronics communication, but it means that uh, having the right foundation uh, makes you much more adaptable to all the changes that a field will go through. And this will go through a massive change. A quarter is like an year in AI. Things change so rapidly uh, in the innovation. So uh, anyone who wants to do, focus on mathematical uh, fundamentals and core statistical uh, basics along with understanding not to just how to use an algorithm, but how the algorithm works. Because then you can write your own algorithm and everything is uh, everything is simple. You don't have to worry on how I keep on adopting it to uh, the new changes. Excellent. Thank you so much. And in terms of in terms of next steps, I guess for for yourself, we've of course um, touched on the fact continuing around the the pilot license and and you know the non-profit stuff that would be of great value to you but you know fr- from a work perspective what's going to be the next steps for you uh from from today onwards yeah i mean uh, i love leading the embeddable ai mission and expanding it and uh, scaling it to the make sure that thousands of partners can easily do ai so i'm i would continue to lead that mission and uh, look for the newer challenges that needs to be handled uh, within the AI. So the mission is to continue to grow that eventually every company, doesn't matter how small they are, they may be a one-person company or a two- or three-person company, uh, should be able to do AI, uh, irrespective of their, uh, uh, of their capability in terms of the skill set or the compute power. So creating that uh, infrastructure and uh, having a self-service vision of uh, democratizing AI is something I will love to do uh, and continue to do in my current role. And from an NLP perspective, you know, that's uh, pivotal to, to everything you're doing over at IBM. What do you see the next steps being within that particular field? Yeah. So we have recently released what we called uh, NLP embed libraries, which allow NLP to be embedded just like you could do with any open source packages. And that comes with uh, based on the research tech in order to do document classification, PI masking, as well as uh, doing entity extraction and also the things like chatbot or uh, speech-to-text conversion. So all the problems uh, which, uh, and which you can imagine in the NLP space is uh, something where we are continuing to grow rapidly and make an impact by co-creating the uh, products uh, with our ecosystem. And uh, that, uh, that is something where uh, I think IBM has a 
uh, proven advantage over some of the other players being the pioneer in the space, as well as being the most lightweight offering that uh, we can bring, uh, making it uh, uh, easily scalable, deploy anywhere, which uh, no vendor locking can run in on premises, on cloud, on wherever you want it. And uh, that is where it's first of its kind and trying to uh, trying to bring NLP out of um, and making an API call into making it uh, something that you can fully own and do it in a bite-sized manner that can with a footprint, which is in megabytes and not in massive gigabytes. Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'm sure Benjamin Franklin will be shocked in terms of the advancements when he was formulating the census all them years ago to, to see where we are today. And it's you know going to be very interesting to see where we are in another two to three hundred years. Of course, myself and, and you might not be around to, to see that part. Um, but in terms of the stuff you're doing over at IBM, of course, going to be really exciting and, and interesting to see what part you play in the, the AI and data science history. Um, so finally, you know, thanks so much for, for joining us. That was a, a fantastic episode. Is there is there anything else you wanted to, to say before we sign off? No, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. So I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks for hosting me. Perfect. You're welcome. And if people want to, to find your, your book or anything else, what's the best uh, sort of links or, or websites for them to go to? Yeah, so uh, f- uh, feel free to follow me on uh, LinkedIn. And my handle is Kunal Savvy. Uh, as well as uh, the book is available on Amazon. So uh, I'm happy to uh, share any promotional copies for anyone who is uh, looking to take it to the new geographies. So feel free to DM me. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much and uh, have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. You too.